From Westside Church in Bend, Oregon, you're listening to Behind the Message. week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Ben Fleming. I'm Evan Earbaker, and we are here with Pastor Bo Stern. Welcome back, Bo. Hey guys, good to be back. It seems like it's been a while, so happy to have you back. Glad to be back. And Bo, you are just about to leave for an extended sabbatical. Uh, yeah, well, here at Westside, we, take, we can take a sabbatical once every seven years, and so this was year 15 for me in August. I crossed 15, and so last November I knew it was coming, so I started planning and wondering what I would do. And so we have uh, six weeks to take, and and it's just to, for the purpose of refreshing and refilling and getting new vision and hopefully, you know, falling back in love with what you do in the kingdom and such. And so I I was going to just kind of take time off, but then I thought, eh, I think I want to go somewhere. So I booked a place in November, so I wouldn't change my mind, and so I'm finally there, finally ready to go. And other than Steve, uh, you speak by far um, more than anyone else. How do you, how do you do that? Cause you're not only speaking here, you're also traveling some speaking at conferences, events. Mm-hmm. How do you keep, um, I guess fresh in speaking? Cause it's a lot. It is a lot. And it, and you, you don't want to feel like you've got, you know, your tricks up your sleeve that you use to make people cry or whatever. And I think there's a danger if you don't take some time mm to shake the etch sketch and say, again, I want to fall in love with this all over again. And I mean, just really transparently, there was a moment in my office a couple of months ago where I was, I opened my Bible to study for something. And I was like, is there, have I not read something yet? Is is there another (laughs) Bible that I could look at? Because it was just all kind of jumbling together again. And I knew I'm, I'm getting a little bit jumbled with how, you know, being able to see it fresh. Mm. So I'm really excited about being able to see it even like in a different culture with a different view. I think those things are, are good tricks. Sometimes when I'm studying, I'll like try to light a candle and turn the lights off to remember what it was like to write the Bible mm. without power, just to live in an age where they didn't have all the things we have. And I just do some tricks to try to get myself back into something that feels like context. So I think that you know, being able to take an extended break is a big deal, but I don't actually know. Cause I haven't done this ever in 15 mm. years. I have never gone six weeks without speaking. Not even probably not even a month. So how much are we talking about studying going on while you're gone? Not, not necessarily studying, but maybe, you know, you're thinking on the word or you're reading some books that you're trying to have pour into your soul a little bit. How much of that is going to take up your time while you're away? No idea. Zero idea. I have no plan right now. I'm just asking the Holy Spirit to to lead and to live kind of in the moment of that. Um, it wouldn't be like me to go long because it's a love of mine, but I don't know. I, I'm yeah. kind of like... Is there a fear that you'll get back since you've never gone this long without speaking and you'll have lost it completely? <laughs> like my job? <laughs> Someone else will be in my office. And... Stage fright, inability. To... That would be a fear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but... Uh, for real, I'm wondering what is the right kind of the sweet spot between so long in between speaking, and this is just in general, what do you think? So long in between that you don't have that kind of flow where you just are in the rhythm of it and, and kind of stay, yeah. you know, versus so much that then you kind of lose the edge and the freshness. Like where's that sweet spot if you could just pick it? Yeah. Well, I think my job is, is it, I love what, what I do. Cause I speak about 25% of the time here and then I've got a couple gigs outside. And so I'm speaking every couple of weeks 
And I like that. I don't know what I do with every week. I don't know how pastors do it. I That would drive me bananas, I think. Um, and then after Steve died, I took about three weeks off, four weeks off. And I was really glad to get back in the saddle again. So I anticipate being really excited. I'm speaking the second weekend in November, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be like 90 minutes long or something. It's just <laughs> going to be like everything there, all the illustrations, and I don't know. So you yeah. talked about in this last week in your message, Wholehearted, um, you used the story of you becoming an author and you had always wanted to be an author. And then you talked about how you were going to the publishers and then they were like, Hey, you're, this is a great idea and everything, but your name isn't feminine enough. And we're not, we're kind of worried about what kind of audience this is going to reach. And, you know, maybe this isn't the best thing. And so maybe we need to, to, to change your name. You talked about bringing in your middle name, which didn't work either. Cause it's Ray. You yeah. Said? Yeah. Bo Ray Stern. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so obviously, I mean, you are an author. You, you went through with the book and it's a fantastic book for those of you who haven't read it. Beautiful battlefield is um, I read that probably three years ago. I think it was now. Did you think a man um, had written it? Is that why you read it? I did not because I was given a big story about how great this, this woman Bo Stern was first, oh, but I may have before that. Um, but, but that does lead into the question to ask you, because a lot of people have actually been asking me to ask you on the podcast. Um, what is, what is life like for the really for the female communicator in the church these days. I'm sure it hasn't always been the easiest thing. And then that, that story of talking about getting your book published is just the beginning of that, that I'm sure. Yeah. And it's funny because people are still surprised to find out that I'm still regularly asked, why don't you obey the Bible? Why don't you obey, really? you know, what Paul said to Timothy, women keep silent in church and they do it really kindly. And I always give women this tip. If anyone comes up to you after you speak and they say, don't take this personally, you're about to. It's right. going to get personal <laughs> so quick. And they usually say, you know, I'm just wondering, does that part of scripture not matter to you at all? So people still ask and they still they still care about that. But, but this church, I've been speaking here for so long that most people who come here know and I, I usually now just will say, you know, you're going to have to search this theology out yourself. I won't prove anybody's theology. That's not my job. If, if that's anyone's job here at Westside, it's Pastor Steve's job. And I think he's done it really well already. Um, for women who want to speak, who write to me and say, you know, please, will you help me prove to my husband this is okay mm. for me to speak? He doesn't think I should. I always say, I think God loves marriage more than he loves you wanting to speak. And sure. so I don't, I can't, I can't, if you can't even prove that the theology is good for women to be speaking, then you probably ought not be speaking. It's not our job to make it easy for anyone to do this. That's, we, it, we just follow the word of the Lord and the will of the Lord, and we hope that we, um, can do it with humility and we can honor him in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still a little bit tough. Yeah, yeah. It's still something where people, lots of people don't like it. And there, there are people who go to our church who don't come when I speak and I want that not to hurt my feelings, but it still sometimes does. Um, but that's not, I'm, that's, I, I'm not, that's not why I'm here. Right. To have everybody be happy about Does that, it. Does that so. thought ever creep in when you're on the platform? I yeah. preached oh, a yeah, couple yeah, yeah. weeks ago and I was at the 8am service, which is, not the youngest crowd that we've ever had. Not, not as young. And, no. uh, and, and this always happened to me before at, at the church that I was previously. You know, people would see, oh, it's Ben on the platform, the young guy. And you, there's little groups that get up and walk out. And I had that happen again at the 8, 8 o'clock. And I wasn't like sad or what, whatever. I kind of expected it to happen to some degree because it's, oh, it's the young guy. Um, and so every once in a while, especially when I'm in front of those crowds, that thought kind of creeps in while I'm on the platform. How, how often do, do you actually think about that 
while you're on the platform? Uh, probably not every time, but almost every time there'll be somebody who seems displeased or somebody who seems uh, upset or frustrated or walks out while you're speaking, but there are a thousand reasons why they could be walking out. And so I just make one of those up in my head, like, (laughs) Oh, their baby's crying. Shoot. I'm so sorry for them that their baby's crying. Um, but honestly, you just have to believe that you don't know the story and I don't serve at the pleasure of the people. I serve at the pleasure of like our senior pastor and Jesus, what That's he's called good. me to do. And so you, you, to do anything public at all, write, speak, any of those things, probably juggle. I don't know. You have to have a <laughs> thick skin and a soft heart. And private juggling. You don't have to have <laughs> that, but public juggling. You can, you can private juggle <laughs> till the cows the come home. <laughs> Juggling for no one. That's the title of my first book, though. If it comes with a clown costume that no one ever sees, it's a problem. I'm going to buy that book. That's so good. In fact, do you need an agent, Ben? Yeah, come on. Let's do it. Juggling for no one. The Ben Fleming story. (laughs) Uh, I do think about uh, everybody who speaks at Westside with... um, It's not a small church. They're not small services. And so I think there's good and bad that come with that, right? Because there's going to be just more people that are unhappy with anybody that says anything. But on the flip side, there's also a lot more people that affirm you. And so I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, in a small church, it's a different, because it doesn't matter. Like I can have 50 people tell me it was awesome. And the one person who writes me a note, no joke, real life story, your message is anointed, but your voice is so annoying. No way. So true. And it wasn't from one person. It was from a group of, people and it was signed your friends at west side so it was yeah. like well <laughs> okay so yeah and i i i wrestled over that note for the longest time in fact i was the middle i was in the middle of recording a bible study that was picked up by a public it was, i mean it was a successful project i was working on and this one note about one message that i had spoken was so debilitating that i knew i had a problem and i just had to go back to this idea of nothing to gain, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, where you just say, I I can't be in it for this. I am going to get weird if I care about who, what my voice is like. And honestly, I'll fix what I need to fix to make the message go out the way Jesus wants it to go out. I work hard to honor the men around me publicly. Every time I speak, I try to, I always used to try to honor my husband publicly because that just helps men relax and know this isn't going to be a woman speaker who just wants to bash men. And we got ourselves into that. Women have, have done that traditionally a lot of times when they have the chance. And so I try to really be careful because I do honor the men around me and, and men in general. I just, I just can't do a bunch of circus tricks to make everybody like me, but I'll do what I can do. If I can make my voice less annoying, I'll try it. But then, <laughs> then I've got to be done with that because this is just who I am. And I think it's so unfortunate how um, the better you are at it, the easier you make it look. And so people mm-hmm. assume that they have the ability to throw you know, their opinions, negative opinions at you. Because you make it look easy, like it's no big deal to stand up there, you know, week after week and bring uh, teaching that matters to thousands. Of, I mean, this, these are big things to accomplish, but the easier you make it look, I feel like the more people feel permission to pick it apart. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. Yeah. And if somebody thinks they're just saying like, just this one little thing, it's just this one little thing I want to tell you about. Usually that's the, the thing you can't f- fix. 
And yeah. so, and I, we do that with younger speakers a lot too. We want them to fix their vernacular or their vocabulary or whatever. And there are ways that sometimes you can fix things, but mostly I think we really want people to be who they are. It's clear in the New Testament, the same kinds of arguments were going on. We like some kinds of communicators and not other kinds of communicators. And so this is never going to end. There, there's never going to be a day when we don't get criticized for something that we do in public. And so I think we just have to really ask Jesus to make the things that we can fix fixable and give us grace to let the rest go. And even call it, you know, that's going to keep me humble. Yeah. And maybe it's not the worst thing in the world uh, that it is, it's a high bar and it's a difficult task uh, to do what you do, um, to do what we all try to do, teach well. Um, it's not easy. And maybe maybe that's part of the, the job that you take on is this sense of it's going to be a battle to do this well, but there's a reward on the other side of it in in what we see happen through um, this big task of, of teaching the church. Yeah. And I, I, sometimes people will tell me, you know, like my, I know this guy who wants to be a speaker and, but you know, he needs to be humble. We want to make sure he's going to be humble. And I'm thinking, then let him be a speaker. Yeah. He's going to get humbled so quick. I mean, cause people, pastor, yeah. yeah, it's exactly right. Anytime you do a job where you put your work out there for everybody to see and to feel like they judge, you're going to have to stay humble and you're going to have to stay both, both humble and teachable. So it's not okay to just live in that thing of like, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care. This is my job and I'm going to do it my way and you can put up with it. But it's also not okay to be on the other side of it. So I think that that's a little dance that we have to do as speakers in order to serve the Lord and serve people well. It is really unfair, I think, though. Uh, people like Ben and I, so much easier because we fit the mold. We're white, male right. pastors. Uh, and if we aren't humble, eh, no big deal. You know, it's like there's there's a certain allowed um, bad behavior, I think, uh, if you fit the stereotypical preacher or pastor. And that's not the case if you're a woman or if uh, other things don't line up to what people think of as that's what a pastor looks like. You know, Yeah, and I'm not really a big crusader about, about again, making it super easy for women. But I will say, I tell every woman who wants to be a speaker, you got to be 10 times as good. Right. You just, you don't get a chance totally to true. make little mistakes. Uh, people, people are not going to give you as much margin for error. I remember a man came to me a couple of months in or years in maybe to my time here at Westside. And he said, when you first got up there to speak, I turned to my wife and I said, Oh no, it's a woman. And he said, but then I started to listen to you and I thought, you know what? It's okay. She has something to say. It's okay. And he said, now I really like listening to you. And I was walking out to my parking lot telling my husband, isn't it great that I earned his respect? Isn't it frustrating that none of the men had to, like they have to lose his respect. They have to do something first. He's just like, okay, tell me what to think. But then with a woman, it's like, you, you've got to earn it first. And so that's just how it is. And, and I would like to say that that's going to change and we're going to see it change. But I was having a discussion today, you know, the top fortune 500 companies, there are like three women at the helm of those companies. It's harder. It's just harder to make your way as a woman. And maybe it just makes us tougher and stronger. And well, you've, you've done it. And I got to say, if you're somebody listening to this podcast and you know, it's funny, we have the ability to live stream the Saturday night service and most of the Sunday services. Uh, if you're someone that peeks in on the speaker to ask yourself if you're going to go to the church the next day, I think you need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, because really there is something to be gained from the mosaic of speakers that exist yes. at Westside. There's, there's young people, there's women, there's, uh, really experienced pastors. There's all kinds of different people coming up to the platform and speaking. And I think even if it's not your favorite style, or even if it's not just your favorite 
favorite message. I think there's something to be learned from the other side of that fence, so to speak, that you can come and you can take part in here at Westside. Mm-hmm. So with that, like we said, you talked about wholehearted. It was really your brainchild of a series, right? This is something that inspired you to go ahead and go out and speak this. So why why did this idea come to your mind? Well, this was a message that I had done for a conference a couple of years ago. And even, I, I don't know, I'm sure you've experienced that moment where you, you write a message and it's just kind of, okay, that's a message and it fits with the series and it's, it's fine, good enough or whatever. <laughs> but then there's those moments where you write a message and you feel the Holy Spirit there and you feel this is, even if it doesn't change any other life, this is changing my life as it's coming to me and putting together the lives of these kings and how they serve the Lord, this idea that it's not just serve the Lord. There's a there's a way to do it with your whole heart and a way to do it with a divided heart. And it was at a time in my life where I was really divided between a lot of things. My husband was very sick at that time. It was kind of near the end of his life. And and so there were just so many things pulling at me. And that message had such an impact on me. And I could feel it even when I spoke it at the well. I could feel so much weight on it. Mm. And it didn't even feel like mine. I just felt like the messenger right in the middle of it all. And so I've always wanted a chance to be able to share it at Westside on a weekend and it never fit with the series. So when my last message was going to be July 15th and Pastor Steve said, no, you got to speak another time before you leave because then I won't be speaking until November. So they gave me Labor Day weekend, which wasn't that kind, actually. <laughs> it's not the favorite preaching spot. It no, really that's what they give the women. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steve. I didn't mean it. Is that what Steve said? (laughs) He gave it to you because you're a woman. Oh, man. So I got a one-off, and I was so excited because I wanted to do this message. And then um, a couple of other messages weren't fitting right with some some a series that we had planned for after it and they just fit with this one. And so it kind of was one of those divinely orchestrated things where I felt like this one time message became a little mini theme for what God wanted to do at West side. So it was cool when it landed in the message. One of the things that stuck out to me and you have to help remind me of the name of the King who, uh, didn't tear down the altars. Yeah. Asa. The, yeah. The yeah. idols, but nevertheless, uh, he He's- was wholehearted in his, his entire life, yeah. wholehearted his entire life. Yeah, King Asa in Second Chronicles 15. And this concept that we maybe don't get it all right, but we can still be wholehearted. Uh, and that's that's kind of maybe a little offensive to us church kids, uh, you know. Who, yeah, yeah, where's the who, rules in this? Yeah. You know? yeah the and, rules are you turn down the high places. Right. And yeah. I, can't, I, I can't know if I'm doing good if it's not lining up to, to this system of, of rules and regulations. How do I be wholehearted and miss something? You know, that's a challenging thought. Yeah. I wonder too about like, he worshiped rock and roll his whole life. Nevertheless, he was all, you know, it's the, it's saying almost the same thing that he, there were, were people, someone who allows something else into his heart. And yet he's able to be 100% with the heart that he has toward Jesus. And I, I think it's a big deal because there. I don't know how many ways and how many times we can say man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart until we start to believe it, that God really does look at the heart. He really, really does. And, and yeah, our actions come out of our heart. Our words come out of our heart. Those things happen, but still there's a grid we're not seeing that's, that's divine and more spiritual than what we can possibly, I think, imagine. The denomination I grew up in um, taught a doctrine of uh, complete sanctification to where you get to a point uh, in your life where you achieve this another work of grace 
uh, where, as I understood it, maybe this isn't correct, but as I understood it, you would no longer really struggle with sin. You'd Mm -hmm. be beyond that. Um, I don't know about you, Ben, but that's not the case in my life. No, I've gotten there. I've gotten there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I think, I don't know, to me, um, hearing you preach that and, and read that, that brings a level of comfort that, uh, that I can be, uh, not that I give up on trying to be holy, uh, but that in my failures, I can still have a heart that is holy after God, which seems like a contradiction, but mm-hmm. evidently not necessarily. Evidently not, because there are kings who did it more right and still it says they weren't wholehearted. They, they didn't do it all, you know, they, their heart wasn't there. And I think the definition of Pharisee is following the rules, but not having a heart there. And there's a generation who worships me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. It's just really easy to put on a, a cool dress and think you've done it. You know, I'm just, I've got the right costume on. I'm doing this right. I'm following the rules. And I just don't think that I think Jesus just, that is not his thing. And I think I said it in the message. I think, I'm a, I'm a wholehearted dancer. I'm not a good one. And I'm, I'm beginning to think that Jesus would rather have wholehearted followers than good ones, the ones that know the rules and follow the rules. Not that we don't follow the rules. That Even that idea is silly. Like, if I don't follow the rules, I'm more wholehearted. That's silly, too. It's, it's that out of my heart that loves him, I want my actions and decisions to follow from that. And I don't want my actions and decisions to come in place of that. Mm-hmm. And part of the difficulty I find in the middle of all this is this it presents an, this need for some self-accountability when it comes to your spiritual walk with God, because nobody else can truly know if I am walking wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you say I prayed about it, you know, and, and I have, I have a, I've had a lot of college students say that to me, you know, Oh, you're getting in this relationship. Like, have you, have you been praying about it? You know, I've been thinking, yeah, you know, I've been praying about it. I'm like, ah, oh, been praying about it though. Maybe you should pray about it again. <laughs> and, Cause, and I will never know well, yeah. if you've been praying about it, right. so to speak, and I will never know if you are truly going wholeheartedly after this because we, uh, we'd like to have the evidence. We like to have the butts in the seats at the church and we like to have so many attending our Bible studies and filling our pews. Um, and we, we feel like that's the evidence in a wholehearted church is a growing church and a flourishing. And I believe in all of those things, but nobody will truly ever know if we are being wholehearted, which brings us to this idea of I've got to hold myself accountable to that. Yeah. And what's my metric for myself? I only recently have developed it. How do I know if I'm wholehearted? If the heart is, what did Jeremiah say? Deceitfully wicked and desperate above all other thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Uh, Mine is if I, if I'm truly wholehearted, then I am becoming whole. So broken, we are all broken. We all have brokenness in our lives. But if my brokenness is calling the shots in my life and I'm not becoming increasingly whole, then probably I'm not wholehearted. Probably I'm divided between that and I'm making decisions out of fear or out of fear of something or making people happy or whatever that is. My favorite component of your message, you brought up this idea at the very end and you talked about how you needed a grittier gospel. And uh, you know, talking about wholehearted being something that's difficult to define, um, something that's a grittier gospel can be difficult to define. But it's funny, both of these terms that you're using, wholehearted and gritty gospel, it's like you know, I think you even said it like this, you know it when you see it. Right. You know when you see a wholehearted dancer, you know, you yeah. know, you know when you see the gritty gospel. So what does the gritty gospel look like for you? And especially in the context of where we can go as, as the American church. 
Yeah, I, and I say it a lot. Whatever is in the trenches, what do you take into the trenches with you? That's, to me, what matters. And and I mentioned it, that I'm surrounded by broken marriages right now and heartbroken over the fact that, is this not working? These are all followers of Jesus Christ, and their marriages are not working, and they're miserable, and they're sad, and their families are splintering. And I'm just thinking, what 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 are we telling the world? Come to Jesus. It'll be better. It's not, marriages aren't better. And a lot of people would say, I'm not better. And in their, their own, you know, self, you know, as they're moving a lot, they're not, they're not more healed. And so I'm looking at, you know, disciples of Jesus, the disciples of John come to Jesus and say, how do we know you're the one? And he doesn't talk about how many people he's spoken to or oh, look at these crowds, buddy. Don't you know, this is clear. (laughs) It's clear. I'm the one. Um, he talks about just telling the lame walk and the blind see and the captives receive their freedom. And so I think that our metric has been off for a long time, and I'm not against church growth plans or church growth at all. Right. But I'm against it as a substitute for living a wholehearted gospel that says if Jesus is here, hearts will be being healed. They will be at least in process. We're going to we're going to see him move. He, this works. It has to work. And so I think that I'm looking for something that I know it's not that I, cause I know the gospel is plenty, plenty powerful. Mm. It's the way that I'm living it out. And it's the stuff that I'm accepting as the gospel that is really just churchianity. And so willingness to pull it into every aspect of life. I, I hate it when people ask, well, what kind of church are you? Is evangelical? Are you really discipleship driven? Are you community service oriented? And I want to be like, well, yes. Yeah. All of them. That's we, we want all of them. We want to do all of them. We want to disciple people. We want to be a place for the 70-year-old that's been in church their entire life. And we want to be a space for the homeless person that needs some some renewal in their life and the broken marriage and whatever that we've been through. We want to be that. We want to, The gritty gospel can get into all of those spaces. It's not just about great preachers on a great platform with cool lighting, but it's about allowing the gospel to get into every aspect of the place that we exist in. And that means that if the proof those evidences aren't present in a church, if we're not reaching the homeless, if people aren't getting healed or uh, lives change or marriages coming back together or avoiding disaster, we would have to come to the conclusion then that Jesus maybe isn't present in that church, in our church, or any church that that can't point to those mm. effects. And I don't, I don't think um, most of us are willing to maybe do that as long as you know, attendance is growing or giving is up and those usually become the substitutes. Um, where's the bold church that says, you know, we're up 300% over the last five years, our giving is up, but we don't see the evidence of Christ. So we're going to shut down. Yeah. You know, or we're going to do it differently or we're going to show up, but we're going to stay on our faces till he comes, you know? And I think that that's how desperate we're beginning to get. I hope. I hope that is. I had a friend email me after my message this weekend. She had listened online and she said after her baby, she was suicidal because she had postpartum depression. And she said the only people who reached out to her were people who didn't know God. And I've been thinking about that all day because she was very involved in her church and they disappeared. And I was thinking, I 
think we're afraid to in the church reach out to hurting people because we feel like there's a right and wrong way to do it. Yeah. What if I disappoint God in the way that I love them? What if, and outside the walls of the church, people are like, oh, I can just show up and take you a meal and help you, and I don't need to worry about are you off base or mm-hmm. do you need to fix yourself or whatever. And we feel so responsible still to fix people, and you never see it. In the Gospels, you see always people say, come and see Jesus. You see people will ask, who is this guy you're following? And the, the disciple never takes the time to tell them. He always says, come and see. Just come and see him. You need to come and see him for yourself. I'm not going to do justice to, the, to this thing. And I want to be more like that than I've ever been. As I get to be crazy old lady status, I want to be like, just come and see him. I don't, I'm not going to be able to explain it. I can't remember all the words anyway. And a good example of that is the story of Jesus and his disciples walking up on the blind man. And the disciples go, oh, Jesus, come check this guy out. Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? Why is he blind? And Jesus is just like, if at least if I were Jesus, I'm rolling my eyes. (laughs) And I'm sure Jesus didn't do that because he's better than me. But but there's this idea of seriously, this is the discussion that you want to have right now. You know, this guy is blind and this, and I'm walking around with you and I've been healing everybody that we've been coming across. And you want to ask me this question right now. And, and I think we can be that way as the American church. Sometimes it's, it's how this guy not pay their rent because of bad choices or because of things they couldn't. And we have systems for everything. Exactly. Well, and even when my husband had ALS, I think people are even afraid because what if I pray and nothing happens? That makes me feel inadequate as an individual. And I don't want to, I already feel inadequate. And so I think that we're afraid that we'll sell God to strong and then Mm -hmm. he won't do what we promised. And then we instead sell people on programs and that just, it just falls apart. That falls apart at the root system. So um, I think that I just want something really raw and real to race through the American church. And I think we're positioned for it like never before because we're a mess. And so in our messiness, I don't think we can substitute our politics anymore. We've, we're going to have to just say we want the real Jesus in our real church, even if that means our churches don't look like they did before. And even if they're kind of a mess, that might be okay. I think that's a good point. Maybe when all the middle, all of this brokenness, cause you talked about in that brokenness, you all of a sudden you can find that, that wholehearted, you know, discovering what that wholehearted thing is. And maybe we're at that place as a church or as a nation where we're now picking up the pieces. Doesn't just mean putting back together what we had before, but maybe it's creating something that's better and stronger than we had. And I wonder if that looks like a certain pruning before growth yeah, it in, could, huh? in the church. Um, so that a hundred years from now, you know, we're not like the cathedrals of Europe, completely yeah. beautiful and empty. Uh, but maybe there's a pruning now that needs to happen in in how we approach our Christianity, so that there is long term fruitfulness in the church. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. I really do. That that'll be interesting. And people make pretty terrible pruners, and we've been trying to do it for a long time. Stop people at the door. Like that's not going to work in our what we've got set up here, it doesn't, doesn't match our code. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe things are going to change and we'll be at the place where we'll just take anybody. <laughs> All bets off. Uh, maybe that sounds pretty wild. Pretty though. crazy, I don't know. right? A I mean, that accepts people. I don't know. That's, that's a little wild. That's good. Well, Bo, enjoy your sabbatical. Um, we will look forward to when you are back, uh, yeah. I'm going to do it all in Italian next time. Is I will that be okay? So, <laughs> so impressed. It's going to be a great six weeks. If it's the case. And I want to know the secret. Um, all right. Well, you can listen to all our messages on any given weekend at westsidechurch.org and check us out at behindthemessage.org.